Hello, and welcome to Disenchanted, a show about the lost innocence of the music fan. I'm Keith Khan harris And I'm Rosie Hill. What happens when the music you love doesn't love you back? What happens when arts, artists you love turn out to be something you never wanted them to be? Like massive racists? Or sexists, yes. So how do you turn your back on those songs that have given you so much joy? And how do you develop healthier musical relationships? Me and Keith love heavy metal. In fact, we study it for a living, but we've also got progressive politics, and this doesn't always sit well with some aspects of metal culture, like, mm, I don't know, porn grind or NSBM. But even when the politics isn't blatantly misogynistic or racist, some of the music we love is made by people with really objectionable politics, and sometimes you can hear those politics in the songs. And it's very disagreeable to be singing along and then to be suddenly brought up short by realising, oh my God, did he just sing what I think he sang? I am not okay with that. So we often find ourselves trying to work out the tensions that arise between the music that speaks to us and the politics that speaks to us, to grapple with our feelings of pleasure or excitement and the simultaneous disenchantment that comes with it, or even the anger. So in this show, we're going to make that struggle visible. We're going to help each other, and hopefully in future shows, our guests, to find a way through their disenchantment about dodgy artists with dodgy politics and dodgy behaviour in order to find... Well, we don't really know yet, do we, Keith? No, we don't. So let's start with our own personal histories then. Can you tell me, Rosie, what was the very first artist that you fell out of love with? Um, I think it was probably Led Zeppelin. And I got into Led Zeppelin when I was at school, um, when a boy called Alan Marriott gave me a copy of Physical Graffiti. Um, And then I read Hammer of the Gods, and I was absolutely horrified. And there's all these tales of what was called debauchery on the road, and I was just really appalled. In particular, the kind of animal-related sexual violence that they inflicted on the women they met. It's just that lack of respect that they had for the fans and like and me in that sense. It was just awful. I remember when I was first finding out about rock music, reading in magazines like Q, that it would often be Hammer of the Gods would often be a bit of a outrageous joke referring mm. to the shark incident or something like that. Mm. I don't think I think it was seen as something that added to their mythology rather than as something that actually you should sit up and think, hang on a sec. But did you stop listening to Led Zeppelin as a consequence of that? Did you feel guilty or or what? Um, because I was a teenage girl who didn't want to seem prudish and who was like reading all of the other rock stuff at the time, rock magazines, you know, and it just felt like that was normal. And yeah, there was that sense of it being a joke, but also the sense of it being cool and just wow, this is what you should be doing if you're in a rock band. So I just try to sort of get on board with it and and think, well, I'm not happy about it, but I can't do anything about it and it's not going to stop me listening to the music. Much, much later on in my life, I did try to stop listening to them. Um, I had a bit of a purge of all of my CD collection when I was doing my MA in women's studies and lots of things went, but I just, I just couldn't do it, Keith. Just couldn't do it. So the CDs are there on your shelf or the records or the tapes or whatever it is? Yeah, yeah, they're uh, saved albums in my Spotify, yeah. <laughs> Still there. So you, 
See, for me, it's often the thing that I can't bear to part with isn't so much physical stuff as so much as it's rifts. And I suppose with Led Zeppelin, although I'm not a big Led Zeppelin fan, living without the rift to a whole lot of love or mm. cashmere is doesn't seem like a great fate to me, does it? Oh, God, I'm welling up at the thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you, Keith? What was your first experience of feeling disenchanted? Well, it was more for me, it was more about pretending that I wasn't disenchanted, acting a bit in denial. One of the most exciting musical events of my early teenage years was Live Aid, which happened when I was 13 years old. And I loved it, not so much as uh, out of any ideological commitment to, to Ethiopians. I don't think I even donated, but out of this sense that this was something special. This was a global event, mm. that we were all part of something, even if you were like me sitting in your room. And that ultimately, this was there was something about this that was idealistic. Mm, and absolutely. I, that view held over the next few years for a very long time, even when I was started to read the music press and people like uh, publications like the enemy, which were needless to say, very anti live aid, seeing it as this sort of coronation of this new age of rock dinosaurs, seeing it as this kind of example of smug, self-satisfied charity, not change. I read Bob Geldof's autobiography and was outraged at his on his behalf at the criticism that he cites. And that lasted for a very long time. It even lasted to the point where as an undergraduate and postgraduate, I was starting to read critical musicology. I was starting to read post-colonial theory and being exposed to all these ideas about white saviorism and all this sort of mm. stuff. But the thing that finally made me fall out of love with Live Aid was finding out a few years ago that status quo were backstage that entire day. They went on first with Rocky all over the world as Coke dealers to the stars. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it struck me as that this is, you know, that leaves a very bad taste in the mouth. <laughs> you know, the idea of this supposedly altruistic event Actually, when it came down to it, having the same kind of corrupt, decadent self-indulgence that you find with any gathering of overly rich and spoiled people. But mm. having said all that, I've looked. I still look at some of the performances on live and uh, live on YouTube and stuff, and some of them they're still amazing. Queen's performance amazing. is incredible, even yeah. though they're singing. We are the champions, no time for losers, which is the most grossly inappropriate thing you can imagine. It's still incredible. Uh, and some of the artists there also, ones you don't necessarily expect, put in these incredible performances. My favorite performer of the day was Paul Young, of all people, <laughs> who's just brilliant. And what a singer. He's a brilliant singer, and he does this incredible version of um, Come Back and Stay that's just so good. But the whole thing is dodgy as fuck. <laughs> it really is. I don't think I can defend it really in any way. I don't think I've ever really thought about Live Aid beyond. So I, Live Aid happened on the day I was bridesmaid to my auntie and there was a big thunderstorm in the evening. And that is my memory of Live Aid because I was six. 
but I knew it was on and it was a big deal and it was a big deal that we were missing it. Um, but I've never really thought about what that meant and that white saviour thing just sort of passed me by. I mean, I'd hope that it wouldn't happen like that again, but it probably would. I mean, I know that in charity, things like comic relief are now starting to get pushed back and are charting and starting to change the ways they do appeal. So it's not about white celebrities going to Africa and hugging cute African kids. It, mm. it, you know, there's starting to be more awareness of that, but certainly a long way to go. Rosie, so what we're doing... <laughs> Sorry, that sounded... <laughs> So I'm trying to change the subject, and because I'm not a professional radio presenter, I don't really know how to do it. Um, <laughs> the format we've got for this show, at least, and probably for future ones, is that we've decided to pose each other an artist or a song that we are disenchanted with but still find it difficult to move on from. And the other one of us is going to suggest an alternative and we haven't listened to them prior to this so it's going to be a surprise to each of us and you're going to go first and can you explain who your choice is well i've picked the rolling stones um although i have actually pretty much stopped listening to the rolling stones as it happens um and perhaps i should have picked led zeppelin as a better example but i have kind of got to the point where i'm don't want to hear any more white men singing the blues. But there's a different problem that I have with the Stones. Um, Before you detail that, should we just have a blast? Yeah. Just so in case there's anybody listening who's never heard the Rolling Stones. Okay, well, I've picked Paint It Black as a less egregious example, <laughs> but with a really, it's just a brilliant song. Oh, and I do it's love not, it. And it's not really blues. It's not really blues. No, fair enough. It's more um it's more getting into the sort of satanic metal stuff that they did in there about nineteen sixty eight. Rolling so Stones, have... first satanic metal band. Who knew? <laughs> well, let's give it a first thirty seconds to a minute just to remind ourselves. got really into the stones when my parents used to go orienteering on a Sunday, not with Dane Palm death, I hasten to add, um, but they did use to go orienteering on a Sunday when I was meant to stay at home and do my GCSE coursework. But what I was actually doing was going through my dad's record collection and I would listen to this one stones compilation called rolled gold. And I would dance around the house and I would sing along and I learned the songs on guitar and I just really loved that confrontational, aggressive tone of mixed voice. And it felt like it was my tone when I was singing along. I felt really powerful and free. 
and I didn't really realize they were ripping off all these black musicians at the time and the sexism though was always there in it like in under my thumb and the last time and yesterday's papers and I just tried to ignore it as this trope of rock just like I did with Led Zeppelin a bit later on um but it's it's really there and then I read more recently I read Marianne Faithfull's autobiography and it became really clear that they weren't just rock and roll tropes in the songs. I mean, Marianne wasn't particularly angry or resentful about the Stones, but she really laid bare their selfishness, uh, mixed selfishness of her, the lack of care that they had for the women around them, um, the expectation that she just drop her own musical career. Um, she was really unhappy in that in that relationship. But what this what became clear to me was that the sexism wasn't just in the songs. It had real effects on real women. So that now when I'm listening to something like under my thumb, I'm thinking that's Marianne you're singing about. That's my mate Marianne. And I feel really sad and I feel really angry. And Keith, I feel disenchanted. You do feel disenchanted. I mean, I, I, to me, I can relate to the, to the sexism stuff more than the rippy off the blue stuff because the rippy off the blue stuff is common to like an entire generation of musicians and i'm not sure they're any worse than anybody else and also they moved on from that so painted black if it's rippy off anything it's this sort of cod maybe cod indian sort of thing and they did you know so they yeah, were musically they're, adventurous yeah they're a product of their time in that there were tons of other blues rock bands at that time um eric clapton being another really famous example and yeah there's the sitar and there's also the increasing attention on like alistair crowley and things like that yeah definitely they're, they're part of their time but i think when i read marianne's autobiography it became personal yes and i think there's and it still continues so ron wood who actually had one of the longer lasting marriages uh, I can't remember the name of his wife, but she's quite famous in her own right too. And he left her, and he was like in his late sixties, early seventies, for a woman in in her in he in her twenties. And then there's Bill Wyman, mm. of course, mm-hmm. who um, dodginess in excelsis, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dodginess personified. But I think I think the. I don't think anyone's disenchanted with Bill Wyman because I don't think anybody feels the world would be much lesser without his contribution to civilization. Or is that maybe a little uh, it's quite, cruel, quite harsh? <laughs> so, so what, what was, have you got for me, Keith? Well, what can I, I replace all, them with? Well, first of all, I was thinking about Marianne Faithful, uh-huh. and uh, and I thought that was a bit obvious, and I did look at some of that. And whilst I do think that her career that she deserves more validation than she often gets. Totally agree. I think it wasn't, there was nothing that really jumped out at me. I also thought of, I was, I was hoping I went down a rabbit hole at one point, do you know, do you remember, you're probably a bit young, but do you remember Bill Wyman's um, novelty hit, Je suis a rock star a la South of France? <laughs> nope. Check it out. It's, it's, it's abysmal, but I was like hoping that some, I don't know, some, feminist electronic act had, had done some really subversive cover of it but no nobody ever has ah so there's a gap there right there's a gap Noted. there for you to fill uh <laughs> rosie um but i do 
find something that that it was actually the first thing I thought of and I eventually came back to it because mm-hmm. it's something I first heard 30 years ago Ooh. and I think it is rather wonderful and we're going to play the whole thing so cool. listeners don't go away thanks Keith <laughs> Kids are different today, I hear every mother say Mother needs something today to calm her down And though she's not really ill, there's a little yellow girl She goes running to the shelter of her mother's little helper It helps her on her way, gets her through her busy day Things are different today Say, cooking fresh food for her husband's just a drag. So she buys an instant cake and burns a frozen steak. Then goes running to the shelter of her mother's little helper. It just helps her on her way, gets her through her busy day. So, 
Yeah, that was pretty great, wasn't it? Who was that? I was thinking at first Jane Birkin, and then I thought, is it Curved Air? But it doesn't really sound like Curved Air. It is not even close. <laughs> did you know? Did you detect not an accent? Close. Maybe anywhere? It's, yeah, slight accent. That, yeah, that's why I thought it might be Jane Birkin. Well, it's not a French Wait, accent, I'm afraid. <laughs> Who is it? It's an Irish singer called Mary Coughlin. Oh, I am aware of Mary Coughlin. Yeah, she's. This was record. This this is obviously a version of Mother's Little Helper mm-hmm. uh, from an album she she released in 1990 called Uncertain Pleasures. <laughs> well, that's appropriate. Yeah, and um, she's had a by any standards a fairly extraordinary life. Um, five kids horrendous problems with alcohol and drugs, uh, suicide attempts and mental health, but also some incredibly raw and wonderful music um, that has sometimes been recognised and sometimes not. And I remember I hadn't thought about this track for 30 years, but when we arranged to do this, I suddenly, re- and you said you wanted to do the Rolling Stones, I suddenly remembered watching Mary Coughlin perform this on the Jonathan Ross show in 1991. And I actually found it again on, on YouTube. It was a really bizarre show because it was, he did it live from uh, a rail, <laughs> a train carriage on a train that was actually moving. At one point they stopped in Watford. So it says Mary Coughlin is doing this, you know, holding onto the coat rack to steady herself. And later there's uh, Marky Smith does a set, and both of them are great, uh, despite the, the sort of weird setup. Well, I really enjoyed that. And um, when you're talking about the, the rawness of the performance, I mean, that I was around that vocal performance really moving, um, and I had shut my eyes, and I, yeah, I felt, I really felt it. Um, it it adds a new um, dimension to the song when, when, especially now you've told me she's a mother, but to think to hear that song from a woman's perspective, it, the idea it it becomes much more nuanced, doesn't it? It's starting to think why would she need that help instead of it being when the Stones sing it. There's um, it's quite disparaging and kind of nasty. Well, that was that's that's I initially thought that song was you know, the Rolling Stones version was, wow, you know, this was an incredibly proto-feminist sort of statement. Then I listened to it again, preparing this, and I realized that it could be read as a taunt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is, this is a woman who can't cope and it, and sort of being kind of sarcastic. That's a, I mean, that may be an unfair reading, but nobody could listen to the Mary Coughlin version and feel that. And what I love mm-hmm, about it mm-hmm. is also is, this sort of she's moving into sort of major and minor, and that some of the time it sounds kind of light-hearted and resilient, and other times with this sort of aching sadness. I, and that's partly the Stones because the Stone that is their their song to some extent. But but she, I think, she really lives it. Yeah, well, I should definitely go and check out more of her stuff. Um, that's really quite an exciting new avenue for me to pursue. I've got quite a eclectic musical taste um but i was partly brought up on folk music so she so that's how i've come across her before but not enough to really explore her back catalogue so i shall definitely be doing that the other thing is that there were um 
contemporaries of the Stones who were singing back to them, women singing back to them, um, like the Feminine Complex, for example. Um, I didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah, there there are few and far between these all-girl garage rock bands from the 60s, but they they do exist. And then some of them turned into bands like Fanny and Heart, of course. Um, but yeah, so so there are there are examples of those blues rock bands from the sixties singing back to the Stones, which is always quite exciting to hear. I was actually thinking of choosing Heart. Actually. Oh, I do love I Heart. Think, yeah, for see, me, I, for me, it's like you, if you want to listen to Led Zeppelin, but you've absolutely sick to the back teeth of Led Zeppelin, you can put Barracuda on, and that's pretty much that. T- just takes you there. <laughs> Excellent. So. So, Keith, do you want to tell me why you're disenchanted with Wildside by Motley Crue? So I I got into sort of Motley Crue in a really fucked up way <laughs> because I got into them. I, I, I've, it, it's, I, I'm increasingly thinking that, I'm music, that my tastes are moving backwards the older I get. And that, <laughs> you know, I used to disdain Motley Crue. When I was a, when I was sort of in the teens, because I was very much a purist. I, it's like I don't like hair metal. I don't like mainstream heavy metal. What did I you like? I like extreme metal. I like grindcore. I like death metal. I like underground stuff. But in my twenties, it gradually wore away from me, and I started admitting to myself that actually I do like classic metal. And again, Motley Crue, I always try to avoid, and then I, I started to when I occasionally would stumble upon them, I thought this is a really, I mean, I remember hearing girls, girls, girls. <laughs> and I was just thinking, wow, you hear that, you remember that when you've heard it, you know, one, one, one minute later, one, one day later, you can still sing it because it's so instantly memorable. Yeah. Yeah. But I started seriously listening to them when I, at the same time as I read their group, autobiography the dirt which came out i can't remember exactly 10 15 years ago and it's a book that reveals how absolutely contemptible they are as people um and 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 the book tries to have it both ways as saying oh look look at us look what we did we did bad stuff but it also kind of celebrates it as well Mm, that hammer of the gods thing yeah except Led Zeppelin didn't write Hammer of the Gods. Right. <laughs> you know, um, and, you know, so they, they have they have sex with an inc- unconscious woman in a cupboard, i.e. they rape her, you know, although they've subsequently said that that may not have happened, which is another example of how they try and have their cake and eat it. Um, and, but they also didn't, it's a bit like what you said about the Stones and Mary and, Mary and Faithful. They didn't even care for each other, you know, Mick Mars, the is it Mike Mars or Mick Mars, the guitarist? Anyway, he was he got this horrendous condition where basically his entire body seizes up, and you can see it on the early videos. He was going through a hell on earth and was heavily drinking to sort of try and cope with it. The others didn't ask him about it; they didn't care for him. Nothing. Uh, they really were people who were selfish to the point where you can't just just blame youth and alcohol and drugs. But I love the song Wild Side in particular because it's just got the most fabulous riff. It's so exciting. It's so it has this incredible air era aura of decadence that 
it becomes very, very tempting to forget everything you know about them and just sort of go with it. So should we play a little snippet of that? Yes, let's do that. It's great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I had the job then of trying to understand what it was you liked about Wildside because whilst my foot is tapping and my head's going, I'm also thinking, why would not you just listen to Crazy Train? That's a much better song. Um, but then I remember, oh, but Ozzy tried to kill Sharon, didn't he? But I also thought maybe it's that really big gang kind of chorus that you like and Maybe it's that the massive overproduced drums that you're really into, but it's kind of weird trying to work out why somebody else might like something that you're a bit like, huh, about. I think it's because it mixes the best of metal with the best of pop music. I mean, it's a pop song. Yes, it totally is a pop song. And it has this incredible, and I think he's a great, he's not a technically particularly gifted guitarist, but he he makes brilliant catchy riffs. (laughs) So what do you got for me then, Rosie? Well, I've had quite an adventure through glam metal. So obviously I went and listened to Vixen first. Right, obviously. But um, I'm afraid I wasn't very moved by Vixen songs. You weren't moved by Vixen. No, it didn't move me. I listened to The Great Cat, who was loads and loads and loads of fun, but it doesn't do the same kind of thing that Crazy Train does in that it doesn't have that – well, certainly it's got the pace – and it's got the whittliness, but it, it doesn't have that sort of big gang chorus thing, basically. Swagger. 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 Yeah, it doesn't have swagger. It doesn't have vocals either. I listened to Girl School, um, in particular the song Yeah Right, because this song is sort of lyrically, thematically quite on the on the same page, but they talk about the way in which girls have different kinds of constraints on their ability to go out and party. So you get the mum shouting, don't stay out too late. It's brilliant, but it's an Awobam song. So it didn't, for me, have quite the same feel of the riff that you might want out of glam metal. So I laid that to one side. I listened to um, Lita Ford, Madame X, Babes in Toyland. I Ooh, thought, I yeah, I th- but that's toilet. too grunge, right? It just didn't quite do it. Uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cindy Lauper. That makes you want to punch the air. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. But it hadn't got that big, dirty riff. But I know that you really like Finnish Power Metal. Um, There's Rock Trash by Battle Beast. Do you know that song, Keith? I know a bit of Battle Beast. I like their version of Take It to the Limit from the Sausage Scarface soundtrack. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? They've got this great song called Rock Trash, but this is a this is like a parody of a glam metal song, and, and I really recommend you check it out. But that's not what I have picked for you. So what I've picked for you is a band who are around the street at the me. same time. I didn't tell you. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to give you some clues. So they were around the strip at the same time. The guitarist was taught by Randy Rhodes. She went on to play with Lindsay Buckingham. And this song really spears the arrogance of the crew. 
So let's play it. Big stuff, I'm guessing, is what it's called. How great was that? <laughs> I actually, I could, I couldn't contain my curiosity. I started googling it. Oh been a, a, no, <laughs> that's cheating. <laughs> well, actually, all I've got is a soul singer called from 1971 called Gene Knight. Yes. So I, I guess I'm guessing it's not the same song or the same artist. It is the it is the same song. Yeah. So it's a cover, ah. and the band are called Precious Metal. Oh, I've heard of them, yes. Yeah. I don't know if they're in the Encyclopedia Metallum. We'll have to check. I would imagine they are. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know what that reminded me of a bit? It, well, A, it reminded me of Joe Jett, which I'm surprised you didn't mention. But there's also, I, I, was, I was kind of wondering whether you were going to s- select them with Cycle Sluts from Hell. I Wish You Were a Beer. 
which is kind of a, which is another great sort of all. It's it's more of a novelty song, really. I don't know. That it's cycle like of, sluts from hell. The cycle sluts from hell. <laughs> you can Google that one later. Anyway, that was <laughs> a lot right, of then. fun. It wasn't. Yeah. It doesn't have quite the same grit that Motley Crue have, and no, it's, it's a bit. It's a bit, bit more, cleaner, isn't it? It's a bit cleaner. It's a bit happier. Yeah. But I like the. I'm trying to find an alternative to the word ballsy because that's pretty dodgy in this particular context. Sassy. No, sassy's not good. Um, gutsy. 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 <laughs> right. Gutsiness, and I understand that how when you contextualise that on Sunset Strip, a song like that, you know, has a kind of has a kind of power to it. Although, mm-hmm. if I could play devil's advocate on that one. Oh, hell. <laughs> <laughs> you can see how sometimes the, the, a certain type of sexist rock star respects women if they give as good as they get. You know, like in the same way that Lemmy famously was big mates with girls' school. And it was genuine. He really, he did support them. He genuinely thought they were great. He genuinely thought like gutsy women. But what about the rest of the women who don't sort of meet that kind of standard? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. There's a a reverence for so-called strong women, but um, actually that quite often means women who act more like men and do things which... Um, I mean, reading Lemmy's autobiography, the way he talks about girls' school is what what he admires them for is that they're living this hard drinking, same kind of lifestyle that he's living, same white whereas, lines. Whereas nice girls are girls you respect, you know, especially if they put out, so to speak, you know. So it, that's when you get caught in these particular traps you know about how you get out of these whether it's even possible to within the sort of in this case the glam rock system whether there's a way of subverting it and breaking it breaking out of it or whether part of one of the things about if you like it you have to buy into the package really and you have to accept at least tolerate it to some to some degree i I feel unsure about that i mean there's plenty of people in the 80s who were who are raising issues with glam metal and doing things differently. Not, you know, there, there are plenty of examples of that. And I didn't think that you wanted to hear that. I thought you wanted that there's something particular about the genre, about the convention, the musical conventions that appeals to you, that makes you feel excited. There's something in particular about that song, which isn't, you know, like if if you were to hear that song played on acoustic guitar at the same pace, right, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. do it for you. It's because of all of those musicals. It's because concepts. it's thrilling. And I suppose that's, that's one of the difficulties I have uh, generally as a music fan is some of the stuff that thrills me most is, is kind of cheap thrills in the sense of... of uh, uh, <laughs> Sounds terribly pompous, appealing to some of our more basic, baser instincts. Uh, whether it's possible to square the circle and have something that is thrilling, but that doesn't do that, and I, I think, I think the answer is it depends on the genre. I think there are plenty of genres that are incredibly thrilling, 
in different ways and managed to align that with with cool politics. I think that's I think you're right, but I think there's something particular about hard rock and and metal, but particularly about hard rock. And I think Motley Crue are a really good example of this, uh, and the Stones as well. And the reason that I like the Stones in the first place is that these lads, these young men have the freedom to be able to sing in this way, to make these records. They have the freedom to get up on stage and do it. And because they have the freedom to get up on stage and do it, they get better at doing it and they get more confident at doing it. And you hear that in the songs. I remember chatting to somebody, a young man saying to me, it's the easiest thing in the world for a man to get up on stage and play guitar. And it's not. It's not that easy for a woman to do that. There are multiple um, barriers to being able to do that and multiple barriers to women being able to have that feeling of freedom. And that's why, for me, the Stones are so important um, because I could have some of that feeling of freedom. And Susan Fast, in her book about Led Zeppelin, talks about the same thing for her and Led Zeppelin and that I can totally relate to that. So I think there's something really tied up with with um the freedoms that young men have and the and these are white guys as well aren't they most of them and sure you know that that enables them to make music which makes us feel a sense of that freedom but it sounds like that because of where they are in sort of social hierarchy that's a brilliant insight rosie um and i never thought about it quite that way before so I think the question then becomes how do we how can we drink from that well of freedom without drinking all the rest of the stuff? <laughs> drinking the juice, you mean? Well, <laughs> I wouldn't put it quite like that. No, uh, but I would. You would. Well <laughs> Let's done. Let's drink Rosa. from the unjizzy chalice. <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent. And you, and you uh, and we can quote you on that. Um, well, you can put that on the back cover of my next book. Absolutely, I certainly will do. Uh, I think we're <laughs> reaching the natural uh, ending. We haven't resolved anything in particular, but I think we've perhaps thought about what the challenges are. And so this is the bit where we wrote in the outro just before the show. I've kind of done the first line. Can you do the next line? <laughs> so um, shall we... Try this again next time with some different examples and see if we can get any further to unraveling this. I mean, I'm going to go away and listen to Mary. What was her surname? Coughlin. Co- Mary Coughlin. Yeah, I'm going to go away and listen to Mary Coughlin. And I'm going to go and listen to some Sunset Strip uh, female artists from the 80s. Cool. Okay. So until, uh, until next time. And we actually have a catchphrase that I thought of five seconds before we started recording. <laughs> And so we say, until next time, one, two, three, stay stay disenchanted. disenchanted.